Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning, everyone. I finally timed the video perfectly. I've been up really early or too late. Like, it took me five weeks, but I finally got it. All right. Man, it's really good to be here with each and every one of you. Uh, just, I was telling the team this morning that Sundays are my favorite days of the week uh, because I get to spend uh, time with you guys. I get to spend time with my church family, and uh, it's just honestly the, the best day. I've been up since 4 o'clock in the morning. I've only had one cup of coffee, and I'm good to go. Like, it's just I can't wait for Sundays. Uh, and so it's really good to be here with each and every one of you. If this is your first time, we just want to welcome you. Welcome to the family. Welcome home. There's always a place for you here at Restoration Church. Uh, and so just want to want to extend that welcome to you. Well, we are in our final week of our series, Anthem of Hope. And uh, like Christina said, there, my wife Christina, uh, there's a worship guide in front of you. And feel free to take some notes on the very back section. Uh, maybe God is just going to speak to you this morning and you want to jot something down there. But we're in the, in the last week of our series called Anthem of Hope. And uh, it's just been a really good series uh, for me personally, for me as an in individual, for me as a pastor. I have uh, really, uh, just studying the scriptures, really have uh, been uh, really hopeful um, by this series, and I hope you have as well. You know, during the time when we decided to plant Restoration Church, my wife and I, uh, actually before we started uh, the process, we just kind of, you know, told people, hey, I think God is calling us to plant a church. Hey, I think, you know, we don't know for sure, but I think this is where we're headed. And I would always get a similar response. Uh, I've got a lot of responses, and they were really, really similar. Uh, people would say, good luck, <laughs> good luck. Or people would say, I will never do that again. Or, you know, I would get those types of responses. I'm like, hey, thanks a lot for the encouragement. I, I, really, yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, and so, you know, instead of making me, you know, scared or making me, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, do something else or, or try a different path, I said, you know what, that, that gives me more fire. Like, I'm going to do this thing, you know. And so uh, we, know, we knew that we needed a tribe, though, uh, that my wife, my wife and I, we needed a tribe. We needed a community of church planters. Uh, we need an organization that was going to come around us. And so we began searching for church planting networks that were really going to help us uh, launch this church. And there are a lot of, lot of wonderful uh, church planting organizations out there that do an excellent job. And so we stumbled across this organization called ARC, A-R-C, and it stands for the Association of Related Churches. And this weekend, as we speak today, ARC is uh, planting their 900 church across the United States. And we're a part of ARC, yeah. We're a part of the ARC family. And uh, I thought ARC was the best. ARC has a 97% uh, success rate, meaning that churches that plant through ARC, through ARC after five years are growing and thriving. And so we're like, we want to be a part of that because they have their system down, they have the training down. But then we went to this thing called the ARC Conference in 2018. Uh, we were kind of debating between ARC and another organization. And so we went to this ARC Conference to kind of check it out, see what it was all about. And my wife and I walked in. And we were greeted by tons of people uh, on the ARC staff and, and volunteers of an ARC church, this big, big ARC church. 
and the, the, the atmosphere, the vibe, the friendliness, the, the life-giving energy just felt so right at that conference. And the conference was titled Better Together. And so we spent two, two days there in California, and after we left, we, you know, we got in the car, we're on our way home, and we said that we found our tribe. Like, we found our community. Like, we want to be a part of this community because, man, it's different. I mean, they're encouraging, like, they're life-giving, and, and I was like, we just got to be a part of that. So we did. We went through the ARC process, and now we're an ARC church. Um, but here's the really cool thing about uh, ARC that I love. It's, it's not that they have their systems down, their models down, all that stuff. It's the community and the fellowship and the relationships because I do believe that we are better together. And so during the pre-launch phase, we would get phone calls and emails from other ARC pastors just saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Don't lose hope. It's going to get kind of crazy, but we're here for you. During the launch week before we launched Restoration Church, man, our emails blew up. We got tons of text messages and phone calls. And man, we just felt so encouraged by this ARC community of church planters. We really did. We felt hopeful. We felt encouraged. We felt inspired. And I do believe that we are better together. However, I think sometimes we, we do live like we're better alone instead of living like we are better together. You see, when I, I've been around ministry for, um, for quite a while, and, and over the years I've heard many excuses or many reasons and some very valid of why we don't engage in community. You know, people say, hey, I've been hurt by the church before. I've been hurt by people in my small group. I've been hurt by the pastor. I've been hurt by the staff. And you know what? I get that it happens. Some people I've said, I've talked to, hey, I just, I just can't connect with people. It's difficult. Nobody understands me. I, I don't know anyone at that church. I don't know how to get connected. Or I just don't like anybody at that church. I mean, let's just be real. So I've got all of these reasons why we don't connect in community in the church. And so here's the thing when it comes to that, when we don't connect, when we don't become part of our community, I believe that when we live, in, when we live isolated, we give hopelessness a foothold in our lives. So isolation breeds hopelessness. When you're by yourself and there's no one around you, when you're going through a difficult storm in your life and you don't have people you could rely on, man, like that isolation breeds Hopelessness. There was a study done by BYU in 2015, and it points, it points to this. It points to isolation as the greatest factor determine, determining early mortality. People without a solid social support network are more likely to die at a very young age. I mean, just think about that. Like physically, if it, what the study is saying is if you don't have a good support network, good people around you, you're, you're going to die earlier. I mean, that's, that's pretty powerful. Some of you are like, man, I came to church for hope, all right? Not for you to talk about death. Don't worry. We're not going to stay here, all right? But that's the same with our spiritual lives. Like, like when we become isolated, we're alone. The, the enemy wants to, 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 to leave us, uh, to kind of separate us from the pack and isolate us. That, that's, where, that's where we breed hopelessness in our lives uh, just recently, my wife and I, we got uh, Disney Plus. Anyone thankful for Disney Plus? Yeah, a few of you. And so, um, so I just kind of been on Disney Plus, and I, I'm a nature guy. Uh, I love fishing, and I love, I love that kind of stuff. And, 
And uh, I love watching the lions, like the, you know, the, the African shows and the lions. And I, one of my favorite things to watch and just really interesting how it happens is how lions hunt. How lions, anybody ever seen how lions hunt, right? First of all, it's always the female lion is hunting, right? Because the male is just sleeping and snoring, right? But here's how it happens. They, they try to isolate, whether it's a gazelle or like a buffalo, they're like a baby buffalo, whatever. They try to isolate that little uh, gazelle or buffalo, and they go for the one that's away from the pack. They go for the one that's isolated. They go for the one that's by itself. And I honestly believe that a lot of the times, that's where the enemy wants us, is by yourself. Hey, don't tell anybody you're going through this. Hey, don't reach out because they're going to judge you. Hey, hey don't, don't ask for help because they're going to hurt you again. I want you isolated. You, you could figure it out. You have enough strength to do it by yourself. But that's a lie. This morning, here's the big idea uh, for this morning. Usually I give you the the big idea at the very end, but I just really want to give you the big idea uh, up front this morning where our entire uh, sermon is going to be based off of. And the big idea is this, that community is not optional, but vital when in need of hope. That community is not optional, but but it's vital when in need of hope. It's really vital not just when we need hope, but it's, it's vital for the Christian faith. It's vital for every single person, whether you're a believer or not. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together as some in our habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So that, that, that's, it's, it's not an option. I think we make church, we make community an option, but that's something that God says, hey, it's not an option. I mean, when you think of God, I mean, there's even community within God. I mean, think about that. Have you ever thought about that within God, the very being of God, the very essence of God? There's community between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and how they relate to one another. And if, if God is in community, how much more do we need to be in community? So I believe that community is not optional, but vital. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at a passage in Luke chapter 5 that's really going to help us and encourage us and really speak to the importance of community, especially community when it comes to hope. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. The the words are going to be also on the screen here. And so just to give you a a broad, broad context, Luke was uh, a physician. So the Gospel of Luke was written by a physician. Uh, He was not an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry. However, Luke did travel with the Apostle Paul. So he had firsthand knowledge of Jesus and his stories and his miracles and and the account of Jesus' life. That is why Luke, although not being an eyewitness of Jesus, has the ability and the authority to write the gospel of Luke because it's endorsed by Paul. And so Luke um, also wrote Acts, uh, the next chapter in your, or the next book in your Bible. It was written about uh, around 62, 65 A.D., and the reason why, the main, main reason why Luke wrote the gospel uh, and the account of Jesus' life is so that his readers would understand that the gospel is for all people, that the gospel is for Jewish people and Gentile people or non-Jewish people. The gospel is freely given to every single person. 
More specifically, uh, the Gospel of Luke is written to a specific man named Theophilus. He was a Gentile Christian, and more broadly to um, Gentile Christians as well, so non-Jewish Christians. He knew that Theophilus was going to share that letter. Uh, More specifically, in Luke chapter 5, we see, uh, in Luke chapter 4, actually, we see Jesus begin his ministry. We see him uh, starting to heal people, cast out demons, those types of things. And in in, in, uh, chapter 5, Jesus begins to call his first disciples. And when he calls his first disciples, he continues his healing ministry. So right now, this is the beginning stages of Jesus' healing ministry. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick, all kinds of people. And he called his first disciples. And that's where we are going to start. Now, normally, I would read the entire passage and then kind of come back and break it down. But what I want to do is just go verse by verse and just really um, capture the story. And I really want to encourage you to really uh, use your thinking cap. And, you know, kind of like in grade school when teachers would tell you to use your thinking cap and, and really try to put yourself into this story because I really think it's going to be a blessing to your life. So Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And we could leave the verse up there the entire time uh, as I I go through every verse. Uh, So we see that that, that Jesus was teaching, and these Pharisees, these religious leaders, that's what these Pharisees were. They were the religious leaders of the day. They were kind of listening to Jesus. And it says that these Pharisees and these teachers came from every village, Uh, Meaning that Jesus was getting really famous. His miracles were getting famous. His healing was getting really famous. I mean, Jesus was going viral, right? If Jesus lived here today, he would be a YouTube sensation, okay? Bigger than Justin Bieber or whatever, you know? So... So he was, I mean, he was just spreading, he was, you know, his, his fame was spreading, you know, his word about Jesus healing the sick was spreading, and everyone got to really uh, hear what he was doing. And so prior to this, like I was mentioning, Jesus healed people who were demon-possessed. He healed Simon Peter's mother who had a fever. He was healing all people of every kind of diseases and sicknesses. And so in verse 18, let's read that, it says this, so some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. To lay him before Jesus. Now, as I was reading this passage, as I was studying this passage, I thought about this. How far did these men have to carry their friend? I mean, think about that. This guy's paralyzed. He's dead weight. He's on this mat. The text doesn't say, so I can't really say how far they've been carrying, but it doesn't matter. Even if you were going to carry, uh, you know, your friend on a mat from here to just down the street, I mean, he, it must have been heavy. It must have been tough. And I just wonder how far were they carrying this paralyzed man? It must have been hard. It must have been difficult. Now think about this too. I, I, this is another question I thought to myself. How do you think the initial conversation went with this paralyzed man when his friends approached him? You know, the, he's, he's, who knows, he's been, he might have been paralyzed his whole life. Maybe it was just recent, the Texas and tells, I don't know. But think about that. I mean, he, he's probably tried all kinds of things and nothing's worked. And his crazy friends come up to him and say, hey, we've heard of this guy named Jesus, and he's healing people, and we want to take you to him. I mean, think about what he would be thinking. Uh, think about that. 
I, I don't know what I would say to my crazy friends. I'd be like, dude, you know, just forget about it. You know, I'm going to stay like this. I just wonder what that conversation was like. I, I imagine their relationship, they were very, very close for even for them to ask him that. And I was thinking about the paralyzed man. He must have been in a vulnerable situation, a helpless situation. Just think about him not being able to move, him not being able to, to live life normally. I also wonder, how, how did he, be, he become paralyzed? Like, what happened? What, what happened in his life to make him be, become paralyzed? And I really thought about internally what he was facing, not just physically, but internally. What kind of hopelessness and helplessness he might have been dealing with. And so these men, these, these, these friends, these crazy friends, carried this guy for who knows how long to this house. And most houses during that time uh, probably fit about 50 people standing up. So it's probably about 50 people standing up. I imagine there was probably some people outside trying to get in. So there's a lot of people in this place. Verse 19, let's keep reading. When they could not find a way to do this, to, to bring him into the house, because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, that is an entrance right there, right? I mean, think about that. So, so they, they're carrying their friend. They get to this house. They're very hopeful. Their, their hopes are high. They're trying to get into this house, and the text tells us that they can't because of the crowd. It's always interesting how the crowd is always stopping people from coming to Jesus, right, all the time. All the time. But they, they couldn't get him in. And so the text tells us that they went up on the roof. Uh, houses during those times had a, a, a staircase outside that led to a flat roof. And so they took their friend up to the roof. And again, I was thinking about it. How hard must it have been to, to take their friends up the staircase onto the roof? They've been carrying him for a long time already. They get there. They can't get in. They say, you know what? We're not going to give up. We're going to go up these staircases. I could just imagine them struggling, you know, to, to take their friend up on the roof. It must have been physically taxing on them. Uh, I kind of, I don't know if any of you, any of you watch Friends. Uh, I love, love, love the show Friends. And I don't know if you remember the episode where they're trying to, like, and I don't know why this is the first thing that came to mind, but it just is. The episode when they're trying to take the couch up the stairs, and it's very narrow, and what, what, are they say, what is Ross saying? Pivot! Pivot! Right? And I, I just, I don't know why, but that's the first thing that I thought in my mind. They're like, pivot! You know, but okay, that was just. <laughs> Quick tip. When you are studying the scriptures, the scriptures are not boring. Okay, they're not. It's just that we ask boring questions of the scriptures. Amen. Ask good questions. It's really interesting. So they lowered him. They lowered him, right? They begin to rip out the tiles, and they lowered his, their friend. Now, I often wonder, I mean, were they even prepared to, to lower him? I don't think they were prepared. I don't think they came prepared to lower him, and somehow they found rope or whatever it is, and they started lowering their friend right in front of Jesus. And so not only did they have the audacity, right, to lower their friend, but they also had the accuracy to place him right in the middle of people, right in front of Jesus. Man, those are some good friends. Those are some good friends. That's good, good, good community. 
I also wondered about the homeowner, right? If you see a bunch of dudes ripping tile from your roof, you're like, what are you doing, right? Or I was actually wondering about Jesus, right? Like you're preaching, you're teaching, and then just tiles start flying off. I mean, that would be crazy. I've had a few things happen to me while I preached, and man, that, could have, that would have been really, really difficult and distracting while you're preaching. But man, this is a really, really awesome story. And so these are really, really good friends. And check out, check, check this out. This is how, how it ends in verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch that? When he, he, well, one, he saw their faith. Faith is something that you see. Faith is an action. You catch the second thing? He saw their faith, plural, together, the group of friends, the community. He saw their faith. His friends were believing and hoping and trusting in God alongside with him. Yes, the man was believing as well. The paralyzed man was believing, but so were his friends. They were believing and hoping and trusting just like him. And Jesus forgave him of his sins. And later the text tells us he also healed him physically. Now, what can this story teach us then about community? I think it teaches us that we do need community, that community is not optional but vital. And so this morning, what I want to do is give you three reasons from this text why we need community. And number one, if you're taking notes, is this, that community carries you. Community carries you. In today's story, we saw this group of men carrying this paralyzed man when he was hopeless and helpless. That's what community does. It carries you. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 verse 2 says this, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other. Carry each other's burdens. That's what we're supposed to do in community. We're here to carry one another when we're down, when we're struggling. About maybe, I want to say six months ago, I was begging, me and my buddy Ramiro, uh, we were... If I ever start a story with me and Ramiro, you know it's going to be good, okay? Just to give you the heads up. So, so about six months ago, I was, me and Ramiro were begging our spouses. You know what? We don't, I don't want to spend all this money on a boat. We don't even have it anyway, but I want an inflatable kayak. Like, we both want an inflatable kayak because we want to go fishing and we want to go slay some trout. And, you know, my wife says, okay, sure. And his wife gave in after we begged and begged and begged. And so we finally got our awesome inflatable kayak. So we took it up to, like, north of Payson. We took it up to No Lake. We went to go fishing with two, two of my other buddies, Nate and Dan. And so um, when we go fishing, it, we, we go fishing, it's, it's really steep. So we camp on, on top of this hill. And to get to the lake, it's I'm talking about very, very steep, like really, really steep. And so Ramiro and I looked at each other, and we're just like, man, like, I mean, it's going to be cool taking the kayaks down to the lake, but when we have to bring them up, oh my goodness, it's going to be brutal, right? So we just said, hey, let's just do it anyway, man. Let's just go for it. So we get these kayaks. They're very heavy. They're inflatable, and we put them on our backs, and we barely make it down to the lake, right? Like, thank God. So we make it down to the lake. We fish all day. I mean, it, we caught so many fish. It was like Jesus was with us. It was... <sighs> thank you, Lord. It's just, it's just good. It's just good, man. So we fished all day. Like, we just fished all, all day. And finally, hey, guys, let's, let's take the, you know, let's go back up. And so we're done. And let's call it a night. We're exhausted. We're sunburnt. And 
And so we start, you know, that's the worst thing about an inflatable kayak, just taking the air out of it and then putting it back in the bag. And, uh, and so we finally did that, and it was just really heavy. We are tired. And so we start carrying our kayaks up this, like, steep, steep hill, okay? Then I see, with my own eyes, my friend Dan take Ramiro's kayak from him and said, hey, let me help you with it, okay? I said... How dare he not ask me first? <laughs> then Ramiro's walking away, turns around at me and just starts laughing. So I'm like upset. I'm upset. So I'm like, whatever. So I keep going up the hill. And honestly, I am exhausted. I, I'm, it took me forever to get up the hill. Like it was, I was exhausted. I was tired. I, I'm no joke. I was going to pass out. Then God sent me an angel. His name is Nate. My buddy Nate, and he ran over and he saw me and he took the kayak and he put it on his back. And honestly, I was so thankful for that because I was going to die. And so he helped me with that burden. I was like, thank God, Nate. So the point of this story is that if you're ever going to go fish, take Nate with you. That's it. That is it. The point of the story is that that's what we need community, to, to carry the burden for us, when we are hopeless and helpless and are struggling, that, that there's people that are going to lift up that burden so we don't have to carry it ourselves. When we're about to quit and give up, that there's community who's going to encourage us. When, when our marriage is struggling, that, that the community is going to come around us and love us and push us forward. When we have no more energy, that our community is going to give us energy to keep moving forward, when we are weak, that our community is going to come and bear that burden with us and give us strength. That is what community does. It carries you. It carries you. It comforts you. It cares for you when you're wounded. It encourages you when you're about to give up, and it picks you up when you fall. Community carries you. So the question is, two questions. One, do you need to be carried right now? Do you need to be carried? Is there something you're going through and you're just like, man, I can't do it on my own. Like, I just need people around me. I need people to help me carry this load. The second question is this. Maybe you're not struggling with something, but you know someone who is. Is there someone that you can carry the load for? Someone who's struggling physically. Someone who's struggling financially. Someone who's struggling emotionally. You're just like, man, I, I feel like I could help them carry load. Community helps us carry the load. Community is not optional. Point number two that we take from the story, from the text, is that community leads you. Community leads you. More specifically, community leads you to Jesus. Again, this story, we have this group of men who found their paralyzed friend and, and who took him straight to Jesus. They took him straight to Jesus, not away from him. A lot of the times, People, the people in our lives takes us, take us away from God instead of closer to God. I remember being a student ministry pastor, and I would always say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You see, because the people around us influences us. They either lead us away from Jesus or towards Jesus. And that's what community does. True Christian community leads you toward him. I remember when I first gave my life to Jesus when I was 18 years old, I I got saved, and I knew that I had to go to church. 
Like, I, that was just something in me. I knew I had to go uh, get plugged in into the college ministry. And, and this was difficult for me because I was very, very introverted. Uh, just very, very introverted. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was super shy. Uh, people actually thought I was really, really stuck up because uh, I just didn't talk. And I came across that way. And by people, I mean my wife. But, but God just spoke to her, and she realized that I wasn't stuck up. I just was quiet. I didn't talk to anybody. And so it was really hard for me to, to go to this college ministry, but I went. I went anyway. And so I remember showing up that day at the college ministry, just needing community. I just needed friends. I just needed people. And so I walk in there, and I was greeted. I was, I was talked to. I was invited right away to, like, like, a sleepover and all this stuff. Like, it was just awesome. And I found this community that, that was very, very helpful to me um, uh, during my, my teenage years. And so that's the first time I went. And I said, man, I love this. I love this place. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. And so I went back the next week, and I showed up to the same room at the same time at the same place, and all the people were different. And I was like, well, what's going on here? It turns out I walked into the singles ministry, right? And I guess the college ministry was meeting every other week, so I walk in here, and then I got these, like, older girls, like, trying to hit up on me and stuff, and I'm like, I'm in the wrong place. But I kept going, I kept going, not to the singles ministry, the college ministry, I came, went to the college ministry, and man, during those times when it was really difficult for me to continue in my faith, when I was struggling to go back to the old ways, it was the, that college ministry that kept on pointing me to Jesus. It was, the, it was those friends that kept on encouraging me to serve and to, and to encourage me to follow God and, and not to go back in my old ways, and they always, always pointed me to Jesus. And that's what community does. It leads you. It points you to Jesus. Do you have those people in your life that are going to point you in the right direction, that will point you to God? You see, we need people in our lives that will point us to Jesus when we're suffering, when we're going through something difficult. They're going to point us to the right answer because Jesus always has the right answer. He is the right answer. Do we have people in our lives that are going to point us to Jesus when we're sinning, when we're messing up, when we're dropping the ball? When, when, do we have people in our lives that tell us what we want to hear and what we need to hear as well? That's what, that's what community does. It leads you to Jesus. And thirdly, community hopes with you. Community hopes with you. In the story, we saw that it was their faith. It was their trust, their hope in Jesus. That the, the, the friend, their friends and the paralyzed man hoped together. That's what the text says. You see, in ministry, over the years, Christina and I had uh, many chances, many, many chances to hope with people, to hope with people, to hope with people who have lost a child, to hope with people who couldn't conceive a child, to hope with people who had cancer, to hope with people who were struggling in their marriage, to hope with people who lost their job and they were making ends meet. Man, there's so many opportunities that Christine and I had over the years to just hope with people. But we've also been the recipients of hope. We've had people to hope with us, to care for us when we were going through a difficult situation. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm okay with being transparent. Church planting has been the hardest thing I've ever done. It's been the hardest thing we've ever done. But it's the best thing we've ever done. And we've done it with the best people possible. 
We started this church with 10 people in my living room. And on paper, and on the stats, it said that we didn't have a chance, that we didn't have a chance. That there, how was God going to launch this church? How was God going to use us to plant a church and make a difference in people's lives? But there was 10 people who hoped with us week in and week out. Even when we were just like, guys, I don't think there's a way. They encouraged us and they hoped with us. And we've been the recipients of hope as well. You see, in our lives, we're going to be the recipients of hope and we're going to be the givers of hope at some point. I promise you that. And the question is this morning is, do you need someone to hope with you? Do you need a community that's going to hope with you? Who's going to care for you? And if, if you are, if you're in need of someone to hope with you, would you let us come alongside of you? There are people here at Restoration Church that would love to hope with you. We say this all the time. We say that here at Restoration Church, we're not like family, that we are family. And we mean that. And when we say welcome home, we mean that. We're here to hope with you because community is not optional but vital when in need of hope. So what I want to do is I want to give you some practical next steps for you to, to kind of take that next step in getting into community. Because we can learn the Bible all we want, but I want to give you some next steps. Some next, things, next steps for you to do. You see, James tells us that, hey, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word. Don't just come to church and in one year and out the other. Hey, let's, let's put this into practice. Let's apply this to our lives. And so if you're taking notes, I have four very basic things. Number one is this. I'd encourage you to join a small group. I'd encourage you to join a small group. Get connected. Yes, we're, we're a smaller church. We're just starting. But hey, join a small group. There's three, there's three right now. There's a men's group. There's a women's group. And there's a young adult group. I encourage you to join. And if your schedule really is difficult to join a small group, I'd encourage you, which is number two, is to complete the restoration growth track. Uh, the, the purpose of the restoration growth track is for you to get connected into our church, for you to meet people, for you to discover your purpose, for, 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 for God to, to use you to make a difference here in this church and in the world. So complete the restoration growth track. You can start the growth track at any point. You don't have to start at step one. You can start at step two, three, or four. It doesn't matter. Number three, make Sundays a priority in your life. Uh, I guess the stat today is now that, that, that people go to church uh, once every three weeks. That, that's the average. That's the norm in our, in, our, in our country, in our society. Make Sundays a priority. And number four, invite someone into our community. Invite someone into our community that's hurting, that's hopeless, that might be lost, that might be going through something. You could be that catalyst, that vehicle for someone to find hope through community. Could you imagine what would happen if we all took steps towards community, each and every one of us, myself included, if we all took steps towards community, what would happen in Northwest Peoria if we started taking community seriously? What would happen in Northwest Peoria if we started seeing community as vital and not as optional? You see, I believe that we would give people more hope because as a community, as a gathering of people, we can shine our light brighter than just as individuals. It reminds me of this, this text in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus, and we, we tend to individualize this text, but really Jesus is speaking to a group of people. He's speaking to a group of disciples, a community, a gathering of people. It says this, Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives the light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He's speaking to a community. He's saying, you know what? You are the light of the world. You are the hope. The church is still the hope of the world. Could you imagine if we lived in such a way that people would say there is something different about that church? They treat each other different. They're united. They care for one another. They carry for each other's burdens. They forgive one another. They're there for one another. They lead each other. I want that. And not only are they going to say, do I want that, but the text tells us they're going to glorify God. They're going to come to know God, to know God as a personal Savior. And that's part of our vision here at Restoration Church, that people would know God and that people would find community. You see, here at Restoration Church, you're not like family. You are family. And I encourage you to jump in. Yes, you, you might have been hurt before. Jump in, jump in, jump in. We love you and we care for each and every one of you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the scriptures that edify us and encourage us. And we thank you for this story, this example of what community looks like. That community carries us, that community leads us, that community hopes with us. And God, I pray if anyone just feels lonely, isolated, I pray that you would draw them in to find community. And to find community so they could find hope in you. So they could find healing in you. God, I pray if there's someone who's been hurt by the church or by people, God, I pray that you would heal them. And that you would break down that barrier, God. Because when you break down that barrier, God, there's blessing on the other side. So God, help us be a community at Restoration Church that cares for one another, that hopes for one another, that is not scared to carry each other's burdens, but takes it as a privilege to do so. And God, for those who are hurting, I pray they would find hope and healing in you. God, I also pray this morning for those who don't know you at all, who don't know you as personal Savior, who, who never placed their faith in you. God, I pray today, on February 23rd of 2020, that they would make a commitment to follow after you, God. They would make a commitment to place their hope, their faith, their trust in you, just like this paralyzed man. Because only you could give healing. Only you could bring physical and spiritual healing to our lives. And if that's you this morning, I just pray right where you are that you would tell Jesus that you commit your life to him, that you trust in him, that you are placing your faith in him, that it is his work on the cross that was sufficient to give you hope, not your works, not your might, but his work on the cross that saves. Tell him right there where you are. 
God, thank you for such a wonderful community. Thank you for what you're doing in, in each and every one of us. I know your presence is here. I know you're healing. I know you're comforting, God. And just remind each and every one of us, God, that as we leave, your presence goes with us. You're with us. You're never going to leave us or forsake us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. And if you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this podcast with your friends and your family so they can be encouraged and inspired as they seek Jesus. Again, thank you so much for listening.